You're listening to ClearCast, the real estate fintech podcast by Clear Capital. Each month, your co-hosts, Jeff Allen and Keenan Chen, will bring you compelling stories and revolutionary ideas from the people, companies, and institutions at the intersection of real estate, finance, and technology. Want to be a guest on the show or have an idea for an episode? Email marketing at clearcapital.com and let us know. And now, here's the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the ClearCast podcast. Ooh, big 2-0. Big 2-0. Uh, this, as always, is the Real Estate FinTech podcast. I am Jeff Allen, and I am joined, as always, by my colleague and friend, Keenan Chen. Keenan, how are you? Doing great, Jeff. I like that. 20 episodes on our 20-year anniversary as well as a company. Not yours and mine's 20-year anniversary of friendship, but companies, Clear Capital's 20-year anniversary of existence. You're right. It feels like much longer than 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually hard to believe. I, I joined Clear Capital like, uh, well, I guess four years ago. That wow. I feel like I've known you a lot longer than that. It's only four years we've been buddies. I know. We, that is surprising to me too, but we, we're going to have to keep at it. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, in that spirit, let's keep at this podcast episode. Uh, yes. We have a very exciting episode 20. We're going to be joined later on by Moise Malik, who's the CEO of a cool company out of New York called Nooklin talking about what they're working on. Uh, before we get to that, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about a pretty cool new conference um, that has popped up in the prop tech space that you, Keenan Chen, just got back from attending. I did, I've, uh, I've, been, I've been doing the, the, the US tour here since September. I think I've been going to a different event every week. Since, yeah. Uh, first week of September. But last week was uh, was a bit a bit different. Uh, the Blueprint Conference, uh, which was put on by the same organizers as InsureTech, um, and <laughs> I think the uh, PropMoto covered it. and And their lead off quote is is I think the best way to summarize it. They said, uh, "I spent three days in Las Vegas with 700 prop tech founders and VCs." Who are euphoric about the real estate tech boom, and that that word euphoric, like that's that's a great great way to describe it because it was like a bunch yeah. of you know early stage companies that were super excited about what they were doing, and they hadn't hit that that wall that we experienced more on the mortgage side of like all the all the compliance reasons why you can't do that. So they hadn't heard no <laughs> yet. <you know? laughs> Um, so it ended up being like, yeah, super inspiring. That's awesome. Yeah. So the, the types of companies that are at the blueprint conference, this is the inaugural version. Um, so mm -hmm. hopefully more to come are your kind of venture capital funded startups, prop tech companies, people who really have more of a tech focus and a disruptive focus. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, 
you think these people uh, are euphoric now, but they'll be less euphoric later because they're going to run into no uh, and compliance? Or, or do you feel like there's real momentum that these companies can do things differently? What's your vibe? Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely not a lot of discussion around, you know, what's true innovation, right? That's going to be disruptive or, or take hold versus, you know, buzz. Um, you know, I noticed that there was there was um, a super um, you know local focus. A lot of a lot of companies were solving particular problems for for a city. You know, like like New York. You know, and we'll hear from Moyes later on some of the specific challenges around around New York, um, especially for for leasing. Um, and then there was there's a lot of focus on on commercial real estate. I mean. Not just in the um, single-family, you know, rental space, but you know, all the way up to, you know, commercial um, uh, office buildings, um, dealing with, you know, the the new sort of trends around hybrid uh, work and how to manage office space effectively, how to use um, uh, the the Internet of Things, you know, to understand what's going on at um, at different facilities. Um, and then, yeah, quite a bit of innovation around uh, rentals and, um, and with some of the changes in uh, even like California, some of the zoning changes at, at, at uh, allowing for more, you know, multifamily, um, uh, you know, construction in what has been traditionally single family areas. I, you know, I, it seems like that's the right, the right focus for capturing, you know, uh, what's, what's next in uh in the built world so yeah it was it was fun awesome and, and then well, ludicrous was there so whoa luda you know, luda you know he, <laughs> he he laid it down there at the end so that you know so even like everything i just said ah uh, okay ludicrous. i love well i love everything that you said but i also particularly yeah. love ludicrous so <laughs> So this is sounds like it was a cool, unique conference, but it shares similarities to other big stodgy mortgage conferences where you have to have like a musical guest that closes out, you know, with some like 90s hits for all the old people. <laughs> yeah, except, you know, no one was wearing suits, though, you know. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty hip. It's pretty hip. I suppose Ludacris was more of a 2000s era. Than he was a '90s era. So, right. dude, early 2000s is still like 20 years ago. That's crazy. No, no it's decades not. Decades ago. <laughs> Don't, do not remind me, please. Uh, well, cool. Yeah, glad to hear it was such a, a successful conference and, and something we're going to have on our calendars here at Clear Capital for years going forward. For sure. What is your appetite for a joke? Hungry? Not hungry? Well, I actually ate lunch today. Okay. So I'm actually pretty feeling pretty full, but okay. you know, I I I have a joke compartment. You know, okay. I got a little bit of space for that. So let's you know, let's see what you got. You have like a third stomach, like a cow. Okay. <laughs> a joke. <laughs> okay. Well, from my lips to your third stomach, this is an original joke. Um, and I have to say that this may be the stupidest one that I've ever written. And I'm actually kind of embarrassed to be saying it. So I'm not sure if that sets the bar 
Did that set the bar really high or really low? <laughs> Dealer's choice, whatever you think. Okay, so there's this real estate agent, right? Uh, his name is John Pretz. And he's got this absolutely insane listing that he's trying to sell. And uh, it is truly, truly weird. Um, first, the ceilings on the entire property, every floor, uh, are five feet high. The whole house, only five feet high, insane. No idea why, maybe dwarves built it back in the day, hard to say. It's a tough one. You have to crouch just to like walk in the property. Was, was this in Finding John Malkovich? <laughs> Excellent movie reference. That was a great movie. Um, but no, no, that was not part of that film. Next, the other weird thing, the seller has a bunch of dogs, like 10 little tiny yippy dogs. And the yard is constantly covered in dog poop as a result. Like the seller never cleans it up. These 10 dogs are just constantly dropping little craps everywhere. It's disgusting. So we've got the five foot ceilings and we've got the dog poop all over the yard. You can see why this is a tough one for John Pretz to sell. Yep. Um, but then one day, bam, a buyer calls up and goes, I want to buy it. And guess what? He's not even going to lowball it. He's going to pay full price. And Pretz is like, hey, that is awesome news. But I do have to ask, uh, this house is super weird. Why do you want to buy it? And the buyer's like, well, that's easy for me to explain. I'm planning on starting a German restaurant in it. I'm a huge fan of German food. And I finally, finally want to open up my dream spot uh, to serve German food to the masses. So this place is, uh, is perfect for me. And Pretz is like, huh? <laughs> I'm confused. As am I. Why is this house with five foot ceilings and dog poop everywhere perfect for your German restaurant? Mm -hmm. And the buyer's like, well, think about it. You got a sour crouch to get around. There's schnitzel everywhere. This, and the deal is a John Pretz sell. It's a worst case scenario. <laughs> you get it why why <laughs> all right so let me little, little behind the joke here vh1 behind the joke all i had to work with was this idea of worst case scenario and worst <laughs> would be spelled w-u-r-s-t because i thought hey that could be something but I've, I've been working on this joke for a long time. Finally, last night over a couple glasses of wine, my wife and my friends, the Ripplingers, workshopped with me other German food puns. <laughs> and we decided to turn it into like a fourplex joke all around different German foods. You didn't, you didn't even bring in the, the dachshund named Wiener Schnitzel. Oh, I could have done that. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Truly, I'm truly embarrassed by this joke, and I don't think it's very good, and I'm sorry that I burdened you with it. Uh, it's all right. I've got a few few hours to get over it before I go to bed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Done deal. Sorry, that one was truly 
truly abominable. Okay, we are incredibly excited uh, to be joined today by Moise Malik from Nooklin. Moise, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so Moise is the uh, CEO of Nooklin. Um, and Nooklin is an interesting company. Um, they are how people find and share apartments. Since 2011, Nooklin has helped over 55,000 New Yorkers, that's a lot, uh, find their apartment and processed over 85 million in rental payments. Uh, so not just a listing site, but there's kind of this whole workflow component to it as well. So Moise, uh, just to get us started, can you talk us a little bit through how Nooklin works? What's unique about Nooklin and what you guys do? What's a, what's a customer experience like for a Nooklin customer? Sure. So um, the unique part of Nooklin is that we go end to end in the sense that, you know, if you think about most of our competitors, say it's, you know, Street Easy, for example, um, they all they do is match you up with an agent and then it goes off of platform. And um, then there's the other side of it, which there are like on-site and Appfolio, which are companies that help people apply, but you can't find an apartment through them. And so um, we've tried to combine the two and doing that makes it so that, you know, our listings are more accurate because um, the listings are taken down immediately as they rent. And so, and because we have the workflow through our software, those are tend to be the biggest pains when someone's moving is, you know, um, where do I write this like certified check to and all of that. And so we've been able to take all of those annoying parts of renting an apartment and just, you know, basically build them into software. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And uh, your website specifically says making renting easy and safe. The safe part was interesting. Um, what about your process specifically highlights safety where others might not? Sure. So um, we started, you know, a long time ago. It's like our niche was the roommates marketplace, and um, at that time, this is in 2012, where like the majority of um, you know finding apartments was through Craigslist, like really street easy and Zillow were not that big at that time, at least in New York City. And so if you ask, you know. Um, any woman or any person like LGBT or any uh, that sort, like uh, if, you know, what their experiences were like, you know, using Craigslist, half the messages are things like, I want to touch your feet at night. You know, you can stay if you just truly, truly awful messages that, you know, when we think about the story of the customer, you know, 70 or so percent of our customer is our women. And, you know, it's this story of this young woman who's starting her career, just graduated college. And the first thing that she gets, you know, as a message is, you know, basically tying her worth to uh, her body or something like that. And so what we've done with Nooklin is we built um, uh, integrations into different ID verification platforms to ensure that people who go in um, to our roommate network are a real person. Um, we've built tools to um, find out like if there's harassment going on the platform. So we have kind of like certain terms that, you know, trigger uh, alerts like sweetie or all sorts of things. It's um, that we, so we built a lot of tools to ensure that people can't um, upload explicit messages. There's all sorts of things that we've tried to build to ensure that everyone feels comfortable using our platform. Um, and it's, I mean, overall it's worked out great. Uh, that's that's super cool. Um, I mean, just 
I mean, just the identity, identity, you know, verification. I, I can see how that would have, you know, a, a huge, a huge impact, um, you know, and uh, you know, on, on both sides, right? Uh, both sides of, of of the transaction. I mean, New York itself is is a pretty unique um, area. I, mean, I hear a lot of folks say that you know the you know the the, the rental market in in New York is unlike any other city in in, in the country. You know, is the idea that if you if you solve it there, or if you make this process better there, that that can be scaled to the rest of the country, or or, or are you going to have to take a different approach in other in other cities? Uh, I think I think that like the software tools, like the process of leasing is the same, right? So. If you think about what leasing is, it's this two-sided transaction. You have the renter and the owner on the other side. Um, and what they're trying to do in that process is build trust with each other. So the renter wants to know that that owner has a safe building, there's no mold, all of that stuff. They're going to be you know, doing good repairs, all of that stuff. And then the owner wants to make sure that someone's going to pay rent on time, not burn their building down, all of that. And so the software, the communication layer of applying and paying and all of that stuff is the same. The only difference from market to market might be that um, New York asks more questions than um, any other market would, but so it's just like a toned down version outside of New York City. Um, but just to put out there, like our original plan was never to like have much of like a national business. It's our ambitions have scaled with the business. Like, to be honest, I'm kind of shocked we've gotten to this point as a business. Um, uh, like all of us who like, you know, we're here early was just a way to like, you know, let's start a business to, uh, we didn't know about the startup culture, all of that stuff. So for us, it was just, how do we make a you know livelihood for ourselves? Well, what's, what's kind of driven I, that, that change from, from the, you know, original vision of, of New York to, to, to looking outside. I think, I mean, at its core, it's that like, if you go to like Seattle, like the process literally is that like you go through on like, you know, uh, Craigslist or you go through on um, like riding around the neighborhoods and like look at signs like that really still is the process. Like my cousin was looking at apartments in Poughkeepsie um, and basically like um, he literally just had to drive around finding signs until he was able to do it, you know, to, was able to find an apartment. And it's super inefficient, like apartments.com, no one's really solved this problem. So uh, we were talking beforehand about kind of your origin story with Nooklin. Um, so as I was asking you, are you the founder? And you said, no, actually I was a customer first. Uh, so <laughs> this sounds like an interesting origin story. Walk us through Kind of how you got involved with Nooklin and ultimately became the CEO. Uh, sure. So I started out. Um, I, I was building a uh, fintech company. It's like, uh, with hindsight, probably not the best idea, but uh, basically it was a startup to help uh, colleges with their finances. And um, I moved to New York City to you know get that thing going. But I realized very quickly that like selling to universities is not an easy task. Like the most of them take 12 to 18 months to make a decision. And then even when you guess, it's not really a yes, because there's like what I describe in higher ed as like committees of no, where there's like 17 people who can say no, but one person who can say yes. And if any one of those people say no, it's over. Um, and so 
Um, Nooklin actually was the two I met, you know, Harley who started the company through Craigslist. And uh, I moved into the same building that he lived in. So I was his neighbor as well as where the office was. And I ran out of money very quickly because that startup was not planned out well. And um, at that point, I was just like, I texted Harley and said, hey, let's build this website. <laughs> just, just as a way so I could like eat the next day. I remember at that point, like I, I had like $2 left. So I had, I didn't have enough like to go to the subway to like go meet my aunt for some food or something. So I was like, let's see if this guy can you know, get this going. Wow. And what, I mean, it gives us a sense of, of what, you know, what was that next sort of step that made, I mean, build a website, but then like, like how did that start resonating and how did you get the word out? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in like, and in the back end aspect of websites being just as good as the front end. So originally the first like six months or maybe even the first year was just focused on building a good back end because what happens in real estate is that the back end tools tend to be really clunky and no one uses them because they're just really hard and difficult to use. And so we really spoke, focused on the first year being um, just focused on making sure the agents used it for their own you know, processes. And then um, we, the first like kind of like outward facing feature was the roommate network. Um, and honestly, the biggest way we got that started was that we printed like, I think it was like half a million coasters and gave them for free to all the bars um, nearby. And so like that basically got it going. Um, that was our first like set of like users using the platform outside of the real estate agents. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, because uh, one thing you learn is that all the bars don't want, you know, just Budweiser because people have opinions about beer and stuff like that. And that's who typically gives them the coasters. And so um, that, that really got us going, you know, as a business from a, a user acquisition. And then honestly, it just grew organically. Like we've never had some like huge marketing budget or anything like that. Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> what you think the biggest roadblocks are, you know, right? So it says you're, you're, um, you're, you built the back end. You obviously you're trying to get folks, um, you know, using the tools. I mean, I would think there's some pretty deep, deep traditions there and especially in the New York market. Is it, is it hard to get folks to switch the process they're familiar with and, and try something new? So for us, the, the, we don't tend to hire people who are agents some, uh, at some other brokerage for that reason. It's very hard to get them to shift. And you know, it's, we just tend to focus on people who are in hospitality. Um, and so bartenders, just people who are very sociable, um, who you know, people you know, like, kind of like social butterflies, so to speak. Um, and then the roadblock is the ability to hire and train those people is you know a significant amount of work um but once you're there that person you know understanding of real estate is through your system so for us we've tried not to like hire and poach from other companies because it it just leads to a lot of mis expectations of what we're trying to build um and to give like a kind of good example of that it's the concept of pocket listings so all throughout new york city it's the model of as an agent you get a listing and you're the only one who can show it 
but that's like deeply inefficient, right? Because if someone wants to see it and they're nearby and you live in New Jersey, like what are the odds that the person's going to see it? Zero. And so at least at that day, and whereas at Nookland, there are no pocket lists, any listing inside our network can be shown by any of our agents. And so it means that like an uh, renter will get a response very quickly to an agent saying, hey, like this guaranteed money that you potentially have is now going away, but you have to, you know, you know, you'll make it up in volume is like a hard sell to a bartender making $2,000 for renting an apartment. It's like a huge upgrade. So um, it's been easier to go that way in terms of our growth. And the challenge is just hiring and training people because it's a pretty time consuming process. Yeah. So um, let's talk about New York more specifically. We were talking a bit about this before we got on, but I think our listeners would be curious with COVID, I think there's a perception out there that everybody who used to live in New York City fled for Connecticut and upstate, and, you know, bought the big mansion and, and, you know, left New York behind. Is that, is there any truth to that myth? Are things back to normal? How's New York feeling right now? Um, I think that was, so I lived in Manhattan, you know, peak COVID, so to speak, like April, May, you know, I lived in Stytown, which is like a apartment complex with like, I think 11,000 apartments. And in my building, I think like half of my floor was gone. And then like throughout the building. So it was something where like, when I would count the like empty apartments in the complex, it was probably like 50%. So I think a lot of people left New York City who lived in Manhattan. Um, and I think Brooklyn was probably half of that in terms of like peak vacancy was like maybe 25%, which is still greater than any other event, but still it wasn't nearly as bad as Manhattan. Um, uh, that said, you know, this year we've had, uh, you know, record, I think we're about on pace to rent 5,000 or so apartments. Um, and so it's been the opposite for us this year where people have not only moved back, we're now probably entering a period where there's like an inventory crunch. So if you start looking for like a Williamsburg two bedroom apartment, like you may not actually find something this winter, which was never true before. So it's like the, the, the summary of this is, you know, it was the lowest of lows and the highest of highs uh, is where we're at now, where we're now entering a place where I think the occupancy is higher than it's ever been. Um, but it was yeah. certainly quite a roller coaster along the way. Any any predictions for what that'll do to our, you know, to, to actual rental, you know, rates, you know, whether uh, the cost of renting is going to continue to increase? I mean, at this point, um, uh, no question, right? Because part of the issue is that there's just not enough housing for the amount of people who, you know, who live here and who want to move here. And I think that, like, if there's anything we saw, there was somewhat of an exodus out of like places like San Francisco and other areas. And, you know, I think we're gonna, you know, if you, part of why New York City is where it is, is because like, you know, I don't wanna get political, but like some place like Texas will enact a law that's highly restrictive towards the rights of women and women will tend to then, you know, as a graduate leave, you know, that state. And so you already have a trend where people like smart, intelligent people are leaving the middle of the country and going to the coastal cities. And I think, I don't know, I don't think San Francisco did a good job of like managing that growth. So we're in a place where there's just going to be an inventory crunch. Rents are now 
if not at their peak, basically at their peak, and next year will be peak rents. Um, and it's just, it's kind of a unforced error in the sense, like New York City could do a better job of building units, but it's just very difficult. So it doesn't happen. Yeah. So um, to, to kind of close us out here, what excites you most about where Nookland is, is headed next? What's on your horizon? What's, what's the product gonna do for folks? Sure, so I think one of the biggest things like in the short term is lease signing. So in New York City, uh, no one did digital lease signings really because um, the housing court wouldn't recognize a digitally signed lease. Now with COVID that has changed. So uh, for we've been working on this for about a decade and finally we can like take what we've been working towards, you know, of digitizing that lease, which is the, the contract that's, you know, the product of Nooklin essentially and turning that whole end-to-end -end workflow. So that's the short term is um, digitizing the lease signing process fully through Nooklin for the majority of our listings. And then the longer term is uh, applying it from market to market. So, um, you know, we're currently based out of Brooklyn, Queens and Bronx, and the next horizon is looking at other markets, especially, you know, areas like LA or, um, you know, Miami, where there's a lot of people moving back and forth from New York, uh, and there's a demand that there's no, there's no product out there for them. That's great. Well, um, I mean, it, it seems like it's a problem that's not going away anytime soon, um, and that you're, you're part of making it more streamlined and, and, uh, uh, and, and safer. Um, so, you know, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on your, your journey where you guys go next. So, I mean, really, we really appreciate the time of getting to know you a little bit. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, boys.